Again, I want to make something really clear. I tried to make this clear. I may not have done it well enough. When I'm talking about the bar thing earlier, okay, I'm not talking about like the Air Cafe, you know, Champs, Billabongs, whatever kind of thing. I was talking about differentiating between that kind of place to go meet, go meet friends, I think's fine, and go meet people lost. You're trying to win the Lord versus a place like, you know, a club. You understand what I mean by the difference? How many of you understand what I mean? Okay, you understand what I mean. Well, there's a lot of lewd things going on, and the people there, a lot of them hardly have anything on. And it's just, you know, it's just a pickup place. I think there's a big difference, and I think God wants us to have good discernment and good judgment. So that's what I was trying to say. Um, I want to talk to you this session about walking worthy in our relationships. All right, walking worthy in our relationships. You know what's very interesting about Christianity? Is Christianity was meant to practice on each other. That's where Christianity has its primary relevance in that we practice it on one another. You know, uh, Tom, there's a huge hum coming up here. I don't know if it's us or if it's their equipment. If it's ours, could you turn it off? There, thank you. Turn to um, 1 John chapter 3. How many of you have John 3.16 memorized? Okay, now put your hand down. How many of you have 1 John 3.16 memorized? One person in the room. Okay. By the end of this weekend, I'd like you to memorize 1 John 3.16. All right? This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Go to Colossians chapter 4, in verse 12. That's not 4, it's 3. Colossians 3, verse 12. Says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievance you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And then if you go back to Ephesians 4... <clears throat> You see here that Paul says to be patient, bearing with one another in love. In love. So the first thing that God wants in our relationships in order for them to be worthy of God, to be lived in a way worthy, is that we love each other. That we genuinely care about one another and that that love is shown in our actions towards each other. Towards each other. For example, 1 John 3 goes on to say, if you see your brother in need and you have material possessions and you don't give them, how can the love of God be in you? Let's go back to 1 John 3. Verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. 
Look at 1 John 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. But the fact of the matter is that the way the world and the way we see God in our midst is through our love of one another. When we love, God is there. Jesus told His disciples, the New Testament really could be called a book of love. And it was started by Christ Himself when He laid down His life on the cross for every man, woman, and child that ever lived. The other day I was uh, at the college campus. I was finishing a series there on Monday nights for college students and I was trying to give them a, a concept. I don't even know if this is a, uh, the best way to do it, but I was trying to help them understand how much God loved them. So I asked them this question. I said, how many of you have heard of Jeffrey Dahmer? They all raised their hand. I said, I want to ask you a question. Let's suppose Jeffrey Dahmer was still alive and Jeffrey Dahmer, you know, is in prison and <clears throat> Jeffrey Dahmer's kidneys had failed. And he was going to die unless he got a transplant. He has a rare kidney, rare blood type. And you have a child that's seven years old and your child happens to have that same kind of kidney. You know, and it will work. Would you fly your child to Wisconsin and allow the doctors to take out a kidney to save the life of Jeffrey Dahmer? Now maybe you begin to understand what God did when He sent His Son for you. That would be the farthest thing from our minds. Especially for someone like Jeffrey Dahmer. Listen, can I be frank with you? It's going to be as hot in hell for Jeffrey Dahmer as it is for anybody like you and I who doesn't know the Lord. Hell ain't going to be hotter for Jeffrey. The same worms crawl on him going to be on everybody else. The same darkness that surrounds him going to surround everybody else. The same fire that's there for him is going to be there for everybody else. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him would never perish but have everlasting life. Now that's what Christ did for you. God wants you to love your brother and sister in that same manner. He wants you to lay your life down for them. He wants you to give when they have a need. He wants you to love them in spite of the grievances you have against them. Love is the perfect glue of unity. Love is what bonds unity together. Love is a choice. And we're not used to that in our society today. Still, the majority of divorce in America is because of inconveniences of, quote, irreconcilable differences. Most differences are irreconcilable because people decide not to be reconcilable. Not because they couldn't be reconciled, but because I've decided, ah, no, my line in the sand is there and I'm not going over that line. We see the same thing happen among Christian brothers and sisters. Brother A gets, decides to get involved in a small group. Ah, oh, the small group isn't quite what I thought it would be. There's a few people here that bug me. So, 
Welcome to the world. Welcome to the church. Well, I don't know. I just, you know, I don't don't want to be here. Oh, wait a minute. Are you involved or are you not involved? No, actually what I was looking for was the coolest group of people in which I would mesh the most, where there'd be the least amount of problems, and they're all cool enough, and then I'll stay there. Well, I don't know what the Bible tells us to do. The Bible tells us to love one another. You know, my daughter and my mom were having a conversation the other day. Celeste and Kathy Celeste told me about this later. Because my, my children have been learning this. We just come from the teen conference and we talked about... Um, we, we had five blockbuster messages and they were all named after movies. One was, uh, is the rock your personal friend? The second was, can you die hard? The third was, can you die harder? The fourth was... The fourth was, who's in your circle of friends? And the fifth was... Where are the brave hearts? And so I was talking about the one on the circle of friends and I was sharing with them about love, the kind of standard that God wants us to have for one another and unity and love that God wants us to have. My daughter had been reflecting on this, my oldest daughter. We were driving to, to a school one morning. She said, Dad, since you know, I've been thinking a lot about Evergreen and, you know, she's been involved in a number of different churches through the years that have been exposed to a lot of different churches and even in our movement and she said you know dad I was was thinking why is it that Evergreen's just been blessed so much you know and and we've grown so much and so much has happened and she said you know what I concluded dad she said I concluded that one of the reasons not the only but one of the big reasons is because you and Brent stayed together that's been really hard hasn't it I said, you better believe it. And you're exactly right. But, you know, some of you don't realize this. Brent and I would never be friends if it wasn't for Christ. And we would have never chosen to be together. God put us together. We didn't know it was coming. If we were the opposite sex to each other, we'd never marry each other. We just tend to go like this with each other, you know, we just, we miss each other. I don't know, you know, I just, hello, hello, I don't know. <laughs> it used to be, you know, when I first got here, it was just Brent and I, and we'd meet and we'd just sit and stare at each other at a restaurant, you know. It's, How you doing, Brent? Fine. Okay. Well. And we'd get down to church business and we'd talk and, you know, we tried playing tennis together. I, I tried playing tennis. I tried gardening. We'd talk about gardening together. Then I realized, I hate gardening. This is awful. I hate, I hate gardening. The mosquitoes would eat me alive back in my, my uh, you know, garden. And, and uh, th- that relationship and my relationship with my wife have been the two greatest challenges in my life relationally. Relationally. I love them. And I respect him. And I am united with him. And it is a choice I made. It's not a feel-good thing. It's not a feel-good thing. If you were here, he'd tell you the same thing. Now there's six other guys thrown into the mix, or five other guys, and we're all sitting in a room. Man, you should see what that's like sometimes. All seven guys sitting in a room trying to work through an agenda. Everybody's got an idea, a thought, and etc., etc. 
My goodness, we love each other. You think your small group's challenging? <laughs> Ours is challenging maybe for different reasons. God wants us to love one another. He wants us to love each other. Because God loved us. He set the standard. See? He set the standard. I was sharing this with the singles the other day. or Not with the singles, but with my, uh, my trial seminar. You know, one of the biggest secrets to marriage that I've learned is I just uh, don't have any expectations anymore. Be married 18 years this Monday. Be 18 years I've been married. And that, that's a long time to me. It's not as long as some people, but a long time to be with the same woman. 50 years is a real long time to be with the same woman. I plan on 50 if the Lord tarries, doesn't come back or take me sooner. But when I was a young man, I have to admit, I'm an idealist, I'm a romantic, and I, I had these huge expectations. Huge. In other words, I would visualize in my mind exactly what would probably happen when I got home that night. Never happened. <laughs> Never happened. And I get into fights over my expectations. Then I realized, you know, Mark, your expectations are so self-centered. And I guess that's true, Lord. Mark, I called you to love this girl. I call you to love her and accept her just like she is. And so as I matured and I grew, I just realized I just got to adjust my expectations. And accept her for who she is and not who I wish sometimes she would be like. God gave her to me. And that's the way it is. And I love her. I, you know, I'm speaking very dispassionately at this moment. I, I care very much about my wife. Any of you know me, you know that. I love her. I carry around about seven different pictures of her. When she was 18, when she was 30, when she was this. You know, I get all these pictures. I... But she challenges me. Mostly I challenge me. Because I realize, Mark, what I want you to do is love your wife like I love the church and gave myself up for her. Lay your life down for her, Mark. Love costs. we got to get rid of this romanticized idea of love. About the only sparks that are going to fly, generally speaking, I am generalizing now. So come up and tell me later, oh, I can't believe you said that. About the only sparks that are going to fly anyway is during your courtship. And then you get married, and the hard reality of life sets in. You start to discover things about them. Oh, geez, I didn't know you're like that. I didn't know you think like that. I didn't know you react like that. <laughs> this isn't so much fun. Gee, where'd all the hormones go? Well, there's life to live. There's other things going on, and now I've got you anyway, and so now let's just get on to life. I'm, is this the truth? I speak the truth. Doug, do I speak the truth? Okay. Andy Gray. Andy, where are you, brother? Do I speak the truth? Amen. Amen. Okay. Doug's working up his courage. Brother Higgins, how are you there, buddy? I love you. Peace. That was, that was I agree. That's what it means in secret code language. Where's Davy Jones? Davy, you're here, aren't you? Do I speak the truth, brother? I speak the truth. I don't lie. I'm not lying to you. 
You still love your wife, don't you? She's a jewel in your life, and he still loves his wife. It's just the reality, man. It's not what you think. I was reading an article the other day just about made me puke. Old Kurt Russell talking about his 14-year relationship with Goldie Hawn. Oh, people who say love is work, he says, they just gag me. Why? If it's, if, it's, if it's love, it should be easy. Get a life, Kurt. You make $30 million a year. You live in your stupid little ranch. You fly your own jet in and out of work. Yeah, you live like everybody else. You won't even marry the girl. You know, if you did, probably ruin it. Still a game to you, Kurt. Love's a ton of work. Love involves a ton of death to yourself. A lot of death. A lot of death to self-interest. A lot of death to the flesh. That's how we show love. See, Jesus showed us His love by giving up His rights and taking what He did not deserve. Our sin. We show our love by taking and accepting what we don't deserve from other people in our relationships. They're garbage. They're grief towards us. They're hurt. And we love them anyway. That's love. Love is kind. Why? Because it's not, it doesn't want to be kind. Love is patient because it's tempted to be angry. Love is not self-seeking because it would want to be self-seeking. Love does not keep track of the wrongs that are done to it. Why? Because love gets a lot of wrongs done to it. That's love. Love is action. Love is a choice. It is not feelings. It is not what you feel. I love Brent by choice. He loves me by choice. And we've stuck together in faith. And God has blessed that union. In fact, you know, we were praying about this next move, this next location. and It's been one of the most challenging decisions I think we've faced. And I think part of it's because there's seven of us now all trying to decide. And, and then I just think, it, you know, we, you can't exactly tell someone, I think you should go, you should go. And no one really felt a, a real impression, a real move by God whether they should go or not. So we're talking about a lot of different combinations. Brent was thinking about going and, and uh, at one time and going down a planet. It really intrigued him. It was an exciting idea. So we were all praying about it, and, and a couple weeks ago, maybe it was three, three weeks ago or four, before we did the next uh, thing on Sunday morning, I called Brent, and, and they said, you know, brother, have you been thinking any more about this next move? You know, he and I, we've been through a lot together, a lot, ten years. We've had a lifetime crammed into ten years. And he said, well, not really. I, I said, um, he said, how about you? I said, well, yeah, Brent, I do. I do. Here, here's what God's impressed on my heart. I said, I don't think you should go. He said, really? I said, yeah, here's why. I don't think we should mess with our chemistry, me and you. You and I would have never chose to be together to begin with. And if it wasn't for God, we wouldn't choose to be together now. It's the very reason I think we should stay together. Some amazing blessing has come from this chemistry. In fact, everything that's happened at Evergreen all the other pastors has come because you and I have stayed together. So I think we should stay together longer at the main location or at Oak Grove. It's not the main one. They're all going to be main ones. It's a matter of time. Some will probably get bigger than Oak Grove. I just think we should stay together. He said, you know what? And I agree. I agree. I've been wondering the same thing. So, well, you know, it's just my thought. We can pray about it. We can throw it out to the other guys. But, but that's what I think. 
And from that, you know, I have learned so much in that relationship. I have learned so much about life and so much even has helped me in my marriage. You know, God just knew I had a strong enough flesh that I needed to have two relationships that would challenge me in a variety of different ways. It would help me become more like the Lord. But you know what happens to us when we get in those, don't we? We want to run from them. We want to run. God wants us to love each other. He wants us to be tender towards each other. He wants us to be merciful towards each other. He wants us to be compassionate towards each other. He wants us to be thoughtful of one another. He wants us to look out for one another. I have a little saying I tell my children, tell myself, the spirit is thicker than blood. You in this room, in the saints at Evergreen, you matter more to me than my extended family. My extended family isn't worried about doing the will of God. You are. You are my brothers and sisters, my aunts and uncles. You have my heart. You have my heart. Now, I care about my siblings, and, and I love them, but I'm going to be real honest. I don't love them as much as I love you. And very practically, I'm not nearly as devoted to them as I am to you. Jesus said, one day Jesus was speaking, and a large crowd was gathered, and, and his mother, Mary, and her, his brothers and sisters, they came out. They wanted to get Jesus' attention, so a man ran up a little note to Jesus and said, Jesus, you know, your mother, your brothers are outside. They want a word with you. As if, you know, hey, Jesus just stopped his meeting so they can have a word with him. Now, probably in that society, that would have been a respectful thing to do. Jesus, right in the meeting, without skipping a beat, he goes, Hey, who is my mother, my brothers, my family? Those who do the will of God. They're my family. Guess what? The Blessed Virgin, she wasn't doing God's will at that time in her life. She thought Jesus was insane. And so did all of his brothers, and they were trying to get him committed. Because they thought he'd lost his mind. Jesus said, you know what, this is my family. Those who want to do the will of God, that's my family. And we're to love our brothers and sisters. We're to care about them. We're to give our life for them. We're to be careful what we say to them. We're to be careful what we think about them. We're to be careful what assumptions we make about them. One of the things I do as a pastor, Doug can attest to this as well, other leaders can attest to this. One of the things you do as a pastor, you know, is you, you end up trying to deal with hurt feelings, uh, hurt feelings from one Christian sibling to another. But we ought to be people, you know, who make it our business to extend kindness, extra kindness. The Bible says in Galatians, do good to all men, but especially those of the household of faith. We love each other. We accept each other to the glory of God, Romans tells us. It brings gl glory to God when we accept each other. Well, that, that was the way to do it there, Mark. Rip it apart. You know, I look out in this room and there are things about the people in this room I know that you don't. There are things in this room about the people in the room you know that I don't. Every one of us in this room has different struggles, has different flesh. Some of you have secrets that only a few other people know. We've got to love each other and accept one another and help one another over those obstacles. We all have obstacles. We all have difficulties. 
The flesh and sin has taken a toll on all of us. And we're to love and care and nurture one another. The church should be a nurturing environment. An environment where, where you can come just as I am. Here I am. I want to follow the Lord. I want to grow, but i got a lot of problems. So, right, you come right on in. Doug and I and the other pastors have always striven. It has been one of our greatest desires is to, to create that kind of environment at Evergreen. And I'd like it to be even more than it is, but a place where you know we love you and you're cared about. You know, I don't want you to misunderstand the things. I'm talking to you this weekend very, very frankly and very firmly. God wants us to be righteous. But listen, unrighteous things happen. You can ask your leaders. What did I just share with most of the small group leaders, single small group leaders, about four weekends ago at St. Croix? That the number one thing that your people that you lead need from you. Do you remember what it was? Mercy. Mercy. You know what the Bible says? Mercy triumphs over justice. And God wants us to be merciful people towards one another. He wants us to be people who are committed to one another, who love each other through thick and thin. Boy, I could tell you some stories about some of you in this room, stories you don't know about the person. You think, really? They did that? That happened? Yeah. So what? Sin happens. I'm most proud of the fact that we brought them through it together. We loved them and they grew and they're a better person today because of it. And they've learned to go and give love to other people. Third, second thing God wants is that we forgive one another. No matter what the grievance is. No matter what the grievance. You know, some of you don't realize things that I find out. <laughs> and I don't have, I want you to know, I, it's, like I don't, it's not like I got spies. I don't have any spies. Just things get back to me. Things that have been said about me. Things that are, have been assumed about me. Some of them have been really mean-spirited things. And what the person doesn't realize, they go walking by me on Sunday and I smile at them and say hi, is I know what they said about me. They don't realize that. I never called them on the phone, said, how dare you? What in the world are you thinking? How dare you say that kind of... I mean, that is so unbelievable. Never, ever done it. Just gave them a handshake, loved them, answered their question when they called me on the phone. And you know, they, they moved on and no apology was ever given. They never even knew that I knew that they said it or that they did it or that they implied it. God wants us to forgive. God wants us to have this well of forgiveness inside of us. In Ephesians, in the Living Bible, in 4.1, it says, um, I pray, I urge you as a prisoner Lord to walk worthy and walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, making allowance, allowances for one another's faults because of your love. It's kind of like in my life, in my mind, I don't know how to explain this, but I have like a little compartment. I call it the forgiveness compartment. And in my forgiveness compartment, I keep a lot of uh, allowance, a lot of money. So that on a rainy day that I get sinned against, I can go withdraw from that account and make an allowance for someone's faults towards me. 
Some of us, we run our whole life at accounts dry all the time. We expect everybody to make everything up to us. We expect them to earn the forgiveness, to deserve the forgiveness. We are not to give forgiveness to someone because they earned it or deserved it or they're worthy of it. We give forgiveness to others because Christ forgave me and He has asked me to forgive others. You know, there's a story in the Bible and Jesus gave this parable. There were two men, two slaves, and they had the same master. And one slave owed the master 50 bucks, the other slave owed 500, and neither one of them could pay the debt. So they both went to the master and they said, please forgive us, we can't pay. And the master said, hey, you know what? I'm feeling good today. I forgive you both. Don't worry about paying the debt. Well, the slave who owed 50, he was owed $100 by the slave who had owed the master 500. So that same day that they both got forgiven, he goes to that slave and he says, Look, you owe me 100 bucks. I want my money. And that slave said, Listen, please be merciful to me. I'll get it to you as soon as I can. No, give it to me now. Some of the other slaves, they heard what was going on between these two and they went to the master and told him. The master said, bring that wicked slave to me. So they bring the slave to him and he says, I forgave you everything. And you go treat your brother like this, I'm going to hand you over to the torturers till you pay me everything you owe me. And then the Bible says this. Jesus says, so my father will do to anyone who does not forgive his brother from the heart. Now, there's a couple of things here I, I need to make clear to you so that you don't misconstrue this. When you came to Christ, God forgave you, Okay. God forgave you all your sin. God's not going to torture you. Allegorically speaking, though, He won't need to. If you don't forgive your brother from your heart, from your heart completely, you will have a tortured life. Bitterness and resentment will grow in your life and it will wreck you. It will ruin you. You are destroying yourself, not someone else. You are because you're unwilling to forgive. You're unwilling to forgive. I've had a lot of mean-spirited things done to me in my life, in my Christian life. The last 21 years, a lot of them. A lot of things that were said, a lot of things that were assumed, a lot of actions that were taken. Most without merit. And they hurt, and they hurt bad. And I've forgiven them. I struggled. There were times I asked God, why? Why? This is just so unfair. How come it happens to me? It doesn't seem to happen to anybody else. How come I'm the one who has to deal with the pain and they get treated like they're the king and queen? No one seems to hold them accountable for these actions, but I get held and I have to deal with it. Oh, I've wrestled. But I forgave. I forgave. And I let go. Because if you don't, it will destroy your life. Secondly, it will destroy our unity. It will destroy our unity with one another. The biggest reason... The biggest, single biggest reason couples drift from one another is the lack of forgiveness. Once resentment begins to build and there's a lack of forgiveness, you emotionally begin to shut down and that's what happens in our relationships. We, we no longer let our heart out there anymore towards each other. We start to shut down. We start to shut down. We start to withdraw. And eventually we pull away completely. God wants us to be forgiving towards one another. He wants, to extend, he wants us to extend towards each other a bunch of grace. You know what it says in Peter? It says, after it says, the end of all things is near, therefore be self-controlled, sober-minded, so you can pray. Then you know what it says? 
You want to underline this in your Bible. It says, above all else, love each other fervently from the heart because love covers a multitude of sin. Above all else, love one another fervently from the heart. Fervently means passionately, hotly, in a devoted manner, ardently. Because love covers a multitude of sin. Let me put it another way to you. Sin is love's greatest opportunity. People sinning against you is love's greatest opportunity to show itself as love. It isn't love. We've got to understand this. When you're, when you're doing this with people, you know, there's nothing wrong with being people you click with, you just kind of, you know, you just, you mesh with. There's nothing wrong with that. And it, and it can be spiritual and it takes love. But love is shown through the difficulties, not when everything's just so smooth and rosy. Even sinners can act pseudo-lovingly around one another. But where our love is shown, where our love is tested, and Jesus said the world would know you're my disciples when they see this. Is because we love each other through the pain. We love each other in spite of the hurt. We love each other in spite of the mean-spirited, sinful things that are done to us by another person. You know, some of you call me from time to time. You call your other leaders about your roommate situation. You know, you got a roommate who you think's ignoring you. You got a roommate who you think's not treating you appropriately. Who do I call when my wife's not treating me appropriately? I wonder. No, there's nothing wrong with getting counsel and advice. I, I don't want anyone to mistake this. There's, there's nothing wrong with getting advice or saying, you know, could you help me, Mark? I'm not sure what to do. I'm up against the wall. I want to grow in my relationship with this person. What should I do? There's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes, occasionally, I can tell it's more than that. It's I'm really upset at this person. Don't you understand how wicked this person is? This is unbelievable. I think it's time for me to move. You know, all of us should be striving to be easy to get along with. Did you know that? We should all be striving, but you know, there are times we, we miss each other. Our personalities just don't click. Just think how, how many of us would be left out, myself included, if the Lord was just decided certain personalities are going to get saved. Boy, the body of Christ is just made up of so many different people, isn't it? So many different types of personalities. You've got to forgive each other. Whenever I feel unforgiving, there are times I do. And I'm sitting down on my little chair behind my desk and I'm sulking and I'm having my pity party and I'm thinking to myself, I guess I'm so tired of this, I'm just so sick of this God and that's kind of how I'm thinking inside. The Lord just says to me, Mark, you know, when was the last time you know, I got in your face, Mark, because... Because it's something you did towards me. Oh, God, this, this isn't about you. You're God, okay? This is about my relationship. No, Mark, how many times have I like gotten upset with you and impatient with you and been resentful and unforgiving towards you? You know, never. <laughs> but you know, Lord, I mean, this, this has happened like this has got to be at least the, the 5,000th time this is happening. Yeah. And uh, I'd say maybe today's about, just today alone is about the 5,000th time you've sinned against me, don't you think, Mark? 
you know, maybe 4,000, Lord. I five's a little exaggerating. Maybe four. <laughs> well, Mark, whether it's 1,000 or one or whether it's 20, wouldn't you say, Mark, that if we added all the sins of yours together, that I've forgiven you more than this person will ever sin against you? Yeah. Yeah, you got me, Lord. You got me. Now get up off your butt, Mark, and go upstairs and apologize and make things right. Okay, Lord. Okay, I'm going. And upstairs, how can I live with myself? I can't live with myself. I start thinking like that. I can't live with myself. What hypocrisy. Sure, we have emotions to deal with. That's okay. But I can't live with myself. I mean, I'm sitting down there, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, God, we got to have a conversation. And God starts talking to me, I can't live with myself if I hold this inside my heart. How could I dare do that? And then claim, you know, you know what the Bible says? It talks about uh, going to the altar. You know, you're skipping going to the altar of God, and you sit down, and you're praying, Oh, Lord, you've just been so good to me. I just love you so much. And then you remember, Hmm, my brother has something against me. I, I heard him. Oh, Lord, I just love you anyway. Lord says, Leave your stupid sacrifice, and go get this right with your brother. How can you live with yourself? You're sitting there acting like, Oh, I love you, Lord. Well, if you love me, then go make it right. Oh, but Lord, I just love you because you're so easy to be with. Yeah, well, go make it right. I, I can't live with myself. You know, i got to make it right if I know it. Sometimes I don't know that I did it. And then when it comes to my attention, I will do whatever I can do to be at peace with all men. The Bible says that. As long as it's up to you, do all that you can do to be at peace with all men. Okay, the last one here. You'll find in Ephesians 4, 3. It says, be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. It says, make every effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit. At Philippians 1, Paul says, I pray that I might hear that you're, that you're united, standing firm, striving as one man for the faith of the gospel. Some of you, by the way, I hope you realize that that's what the church, one of the primary things the church is about, striving, standing firm as one man for the faith of the gospel. We're trying to get the gospel out in the Twin Cities. That's the whole purpose of our weekend service. Please stand with us in that. Please be united with us in that. Please rally together. That is what God left us here to do. And we'll never be able to accomplish it if we're not united with one another. Now, the Bible puts the onus of responsibility upon us, does it not, to do everything we can to preserve unity, to make every effort to preserve unity, make every effort to preserve unity. I want to talk practically about what this means. Go to Romans 12. Romans chapter 12. I'm going to, I'm going to read through verse 9 through 17. There's specific, some specific things here that I want to... I want to talk to you about. Romans 12, 9 through 17. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. I want you sometime later to take a dictionary and look up the word devoted. It's a very strong word. Honor one another above yourself. Honor one another above yourself. 
Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay evil for evil. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends. Then I want you to turn to Romans 14. I would really encourage you to read over Romans 14 and 15 while you're here this weekend if you get a chance. Verse 1. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn and judge the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He regards one day as special, does it to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he who gives thanks to the Lord. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this reason Christ died and returned to life, so he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to God, so that each of us will give an account to himself to God. Therefore, stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or an obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord, and I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself, but if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, then you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Let us, therefore... Make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but the man who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he is eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. We who are strong, you ought to bear with the failings of those who are weaker and not please yourself. Each of you should please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scripture we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and one mouth you may glorify the God and Father of the Lord Jesus. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. 
Now you may wonder, why in the world did I read all this? Because this is, this is where main issues of unity we get divided on. And you see, you need to, in the original, there was no numbers here. This was all one flowing section of this book of Romans. Romans 12, 13, 14, particularly 14, 15, all flow together on this common theme of accepting one another in spite of your idiosyncrasies. We are to bend over backwards to preserve unity. Let me give you some practicals of what this would mean. Number one, we are not to show partiality towards some over others. The Bible says over in Romans 12, I read to you where it says, uh, Do not be proud but willing to associate with people of low position. You know one of the, oh gee, one of the most painful criticisms that I've ever endured is for a while there was this, this thing, and I, maybe it's still going on, I don't know, I don't try to track these things down, I just, but I heard about it several years ago. Mark, Mark, he just loves the beautiful people, you know, Mark just, he just loves beautiful people. I'm not sure, you know, how that got started, why it got started. You know, beauty is a lot more than what's on the inside. Most people don't realize that most of the people I've dealt with are extremely broken and have an awful lot of ugliness in their life. I think this was happening during a time where I had a small group of about six people that my wife and I had individually led to Christ. It was five or six people and all of them were professionals and well-to-do. I can't help who God let me lead to the Lord. That was painful. At the same time, I thought to myself, Lord, how can, I, how can I just exemplify that nothing could be further from the truth? I don't consider myself a beautiful person to begin with, outwardly. God doesn't want there to be cliques in the body of Christ. God doesn't want there to be partiality. You know, there are some of you in this room who are really cool, a lot cooler than I am. There's some of you that are extremely attractive. There's some of us that aren't. I'm speaking from a secular perspective. But what you, re- what you need to remember about everybody in this room is that not many of you are wise. How many of you have your PhDs in this room? Raise your hand. How many of you have your masters in this room? Raise your hand. How many of you are just a real genius? You've scored genius on the test. Tom, Tom, I'd like to talk to you later. I did too. Maybe I can finally relate to somebody. Not many of you wise were called. Not many noble. How many of you come from nobility? You come from the line of kings. How many of you have a movie star relative? That's what I thought. I don't either. Not many of you were very influential when you were called. How many of you were class president? Wow. Raise your hand. Go ahead. How many of you were valedictorian of your class? Raise your hand. You were valedictorian, Margie? You serious? I don't mean that in a bad way. I'd have just never known that. The things you learn when you ask people to raise their hand. You know what the Bible says? It says after that's my favorite. This is the Berkeley version. But God chose the insignificant, despised nobodies 
to shame those who think they're something. How many of you are one of those three? Well, I tell you, when God found me, I was pretty insignificant, despised nobody. Were you? You ever felt that way about yourself? How many of you felt that way about yourself? Ever? Well, that's what I thought. That's the point. Now, raise your hand. Raise your hand high. Raise your hand. All of you who felt that you were an insignificant, despised nobody. Now, keep your hand up and look around the room. Do, do all the people who have their hand up look ugly to you outwardly? No, some of them are rather attractive, aren't they? Some are rather homely, like myself. Some are just rather ordinary. Okay? But you know what? When you see with the eyes of faith like Mark does, you understand that everybody's on equal grounds, whether you've got a great body or you've got a nothing body. Whether you have a great face or an awful face. Whether you're slim and trim or whether you're not. We were all put in the body of Christ. And we are commanded to love one another the same. The same. To care for each other. Now, I want to make sure no one misunderstands this. Because I, I warned myself to make sure I made this clear. That does not mean that you're going to be best friends with everybody. Okay? There's nothing wrong. You know, you show up at church and you happen to see your friend. And you walk up and everyone else is just kind of standing there watching you. And you walk up and say, hey, it's good to see you. You know, he's your best friend. But it's very important that you are careful to include everybody. And I try to make it a point in my own life to be very inclusive, even though I know some do not think that I do. Anyone can call me. I don't have an unlisted phone number. I'm more than glad to visit or try to help any person who needs help. I'll do what I can do. Some situations I'm not as good as someone else may be in that situation. But I, I'll try. But we are to love one another. Because all of us, all of us have been chosen by God. Every single one of us in this room have been chosen by God. The lovely and the unlovely, the popular and the unpopular, we are to embrace one another. I have a little saying I write in my book, keeps my feet on the ground. Mark, there are no superstars in the body of Christ. Just one super body made up of many parts. There are no superstars in the body of Christ. There are no Michael Jordans in the body of Christ. But just one super body that Jesus calls His bride made up of many parts. And you're those parts. And every one of you matters the same as the person next to you. And we ought to show that love. And when we've got a small group and we're seeking to add new people, we ought to show love, same kind of love to that new person that's coming. And when people walk into our midst or they come to one of these conferences, they realize, wow, people go out of my way to say hi to me. They didn't know me, but they went out of their way. It shouldn't feel like it ever been. You know, if you can't break in, you just kind of... Like a deflector shield, you kind of bounced off into some other place in the universe to find a place to go fellowship. And I've got to be honest, sometimes I think that happens. I'm very proud of the friendliness and the love and the environment of Evergreen. I just think we could excel more. How many think we could excel more at that? Put your hand down. How many have been a little concerned about that with a singles group? Raise your hand. Don't be afraid. Raise your hand. Don't be afraid to express your opinion. Now, turn around and look at the people whose hands are up. Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. See? 
And a lot of these people here in the room, they're in the know. Some of them, some of them have felt slighted. Others shouldn't feel slighted. They've been shown an awful lot of love. The bottom line is, we can excel still more. God wants us to excel still more. He wants us to be loving. And He wants us to believe the best, you know. Another thing you need to understand is, uh, you know how many times I can feel slighted in my own church? Do you want to know the truth? Do you really want to know the truth in my feelings? Sometimes I don't even feel at home in my own church. And I'm the one who helped start it. Sometimes I feel more welcome, more embraced when I leave. And I remind myself of the verse that says, A prophet is without honor, except in his own home. If I blame you for that, I don't blame you for that. I'm not resentful, I'm not bothered, I'm telling you my feelings. I'm expressing feelings, you know, but I don't care about feelings. I really don't. I'm here because I love you. I love you. I care about you. And my desire is to be a stepladder to your success. I could care less if I'm a stepping stone to your success. That is my desire. Is that you succeed. Is that you grow. Is that you advance. Well, I pray to God that there'd be men and women in this room who would raise up and do a million times more with their life and accomplish for God than I have. I just want to do what God wants me to do and I want to go after it with all my heart. And I still know there's more He wants to do, but boy, I, I just pray for young warriors to raise up in this church. You know, we, our feelings can tell us one thing. They can tell us all kinds of things. You know, what, what I try to do when I have a feeling is I try to actualize it into a positive action against that negative feeling. For example, if I go into a room and I feel like no one even gives a hoot I'm even there, I go and make sure that I let other people know I give a hoot they're there. Does that make sense? You want to know what verse that is applying? The verse in Romans says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by doing good. You know what I do in my relationship with my wife? It's <coughs> one of my marital secrets. Is um, There'll be times I'm feeling really harsh, or I'm not feeling really loved, I'm not feeling like Kathy's really paying attention to me, the kids get more attention, friends get more attention, and there's a little mark. You know, I tend to have those kinds of insecurities. Just like anybody else, sometimes they're real, sometimes they're not real at all. It's just my own self-centered nature. And I sit in my chair and I've, and I've disciplined myself to think, well, what can I do for Kathy? Ah, I'm in a vacuum. Go get the vacuum. No, laundry. I bet I put some laundry in the, in the washer. I go down, sure enough, there's some laundry there. I get it in the washer. Ironing. I could do some ironing. Hey, Kathy, well, do you need anything at the store? I serve. That's what I do. I overcome all that crap in my life by trying to do something positive for someone else. It's a secret. Instead of being overcome by all those emotions and <laughs> no one cares about me. Man, if I sat around worried about that, gee, many Christmas, I'd be a basket case. I just think about all the people God wants me to care about. That's what I know. God wants me to care about. And He'll provide for me the love or the nurturing or the encouragement that I need however I need it. Through my wife, through my friend, through Doug, through Greg, through someone. God will bring it when I need it. He knows what I need. I just need to trust Him. God wants us to be committed to being united. And he wants us to, to do whatever it takes to preserve that unity. Whatever it takes. And you know, 
what I've realized, I think I've shared this briefly with you before. I'm not going to share with you the whole message. If you wanted to hear this whole message, I think it would be really helpful, but it was in the context of marriage, but it can be applied to anything. A few years ago, I did a message here at Craigens entitled, The Most Important Thing I've Learned in 16 Years of Marriage. And then I gave this summary statement, and the whole hour was on this statement. If you want to have a great marriage, just go home and die some more. Oneness cannot be achieved unless someone dies. Dies to self, dies to self-interest. The same is true with Christians. The same is true in my relationship with Brent and my fellow leaders. Jesus said, in John 17, he said, I prayed that we would be united, that we would be one even as he was one, so the world might know that there's a God. There's a lot at stake. I want people to know there's a God. There's one primary reason I want a good marriage. One primary reason I want a good family. Do you know what it is? It isn't so my life will be nice. It's never been that. It's so the Lord would get a lot of glory. So the world would take God seriously. And so I don't care what it costs me personally. I don't care how much pain, how much anguish, how much emotional hurt, how much I have to suck up or absorb. I will do it. God will give me the grace to do it. I am going to love this woman and love these children. And I'm going to stay united with her. I'm going to stay united with her. I'm going to do whatever it takes to be united. In fact, in fact, even if it means being a doormat. You're going to get walked on in the Christian life. Haven't you learned that yet? There can be no unity if somebody doesn't decide to take the low position. You know, several years ago, I was, I was really praying about what God wanted me to do here at Evergreen. About my role, because, you know, I, as time goes on, your role changes. You know, when there's just the two of us, Brent and I, we have pretty distinct personalities, abilities, gifts, and it's a little clearer what our roles sort of would be. But as time went on, we had more men to the team. You know, it began to be a little fuzzy for me. And for about a year, I had as much turmoil late at night, laying in bed, as I'd ever had in my life. Not turmoil over sin, but just wondering, God, what now do you want me to do? What should my role be now? We obviously aren't going to have one gigantic church. And I've always felt it's my calling to speak to the masses. I've always felt it's my calling to speak to as many people as possible. Lord, my goodness, I've got to share the pulpit with more and more people. Yet, you know, everything's changing. What do you want me to do? What should my role be? So I went along, continuing doing what I was doing, but every day I was praying this, and every night I'm just tossing and turning in bed, wondering, well, maybe, maybe it's time, and sometimes there's a time for this, by the way. The command that God's given us is to go into all the world. Oh, well, maybe it's time for me to move. Maybe it's time for me to move on. Maybe that's what God's leading me. So I began to get counsel. I began to get advice. I began to seek the Lord. Lord, do you want me to go? Maybe what I am is just a catalyst. Maybe that's what I am. Maybe I'm just a catalyst, and so I just, just spend the rest of my life staying involved, starting things. I was honestly seeking the Lord about this. One day I was out praying after about a year. And the Lord just uh, spoke to me like, like I'm speaking to you right now. Only it wasn't an audible voice. It was inside the Holy Spirit to my mind and conscience and heart. The Lord said to me, Mark, uh, you remember the story of John the Baptist and Jesus? And I said, yeah. 
You remember when John the Baptist looked at Jesus and said, He must increase, but I must decrease. Yeah, Lord, I, I remember that. Well, that's what I want you to do. I said, Lord, that's, that's all I want. I want you to increase in my life. I want you to be seen. I want you to be first. And Lord said, well, Mark, I know that, but I, I, want, I want you to go back and read the passage a minute. I have a different application for you this time. So I went back and I read the passage and it dawned on me for the first time. John the Baptist was a man, obviously. Jesus was a man. John the Baptist was older than Jesus. John the Baptist had a bigger ministry at the time than Jesus. And John the Baptist said to this other man, Here's the torch, Jesus. I'm going to take the back seat. You take the front seat. Lord, send me now, Mark. Well, that's what I want you to do with your fellow pastors. A few days I went to bed that night. Didn't toss it all. God had spoken to me. I knew now, for this time, what God wanted my role to be. See, I am, a, I am a, you all recognize I'm an upfront person, right? Those are my gifts. I mean, I can't help that. I didn't ask for that. I want you to know that. It's not because of me. It's just God. God said, well, now, Mark, I want you to take a back seat. And I read that a day later in the Message Bible. It says, practice playing second fiddle. Okay. Fine. So you don't, you, don't have no, you, don't, you don't realize how hard this was for me because, see, I realize that people often imprint on me when they come to Evergreen. I'm just telling you what their comments have said, boxes of them that we have. This is a very hard decision for me. It's not that I like the limelight. I want to get God a lot of glory and I realize I can relate to a lot of people. And God's empowered me to do that. God said to me, I want you to roll the change. I want others to advance. Push them forward. Push, be a stepping stone. Push them forward. So I, I, I began to systematically look for everything that I could pull back out of. And find ways that I could put others first. In my own life, I'm just telling you, then God began to do this in my prayer life. Began to realize one day I was praying with some of the pastors. And I prayed just kind of like I normally pray. And I was praying, going to tent, praying. And one of the brothers wrote me a letter and said, You know, Mark... I should have told you this a long time ago, but you're a really hard guy to pray with. I have a really hard time, and I just thought to myself, you know, first I was very mad. You know, instantaneously, my reaction was, I don't believe this. Is nothing sacred. This is a crock. You know, again, Mark and his idealistic views. Okay? My, my expectation was, I'll be with these pastors. It'll be so wonderful. This is how you all think pastors are, you know. Oh, just at the, the upper level, man. Just everyone's so bonded. There's just so much love in the room. You can just feel it. And so much unity. And you're just pouring your heart out. And every relationship's a Jonathan and David relationship wrong. <laughs> and this individual said to me, you know, Mark... I'd have an easier time praying if you just keep your prayers shorter and kind of stay on one or two subjects because by the time you get done, all the wind's gone out of my sail. You prayed about everything as forcefully, as passionately as it can be prayed about. So what's left for me to do? And I thought, pray the same way I just did about the same things. What's hard about that? See, I don't, I don't, I don't think on that plane. It never dawned on me, team prayer. I never heard of team prayer. You just, just pray. 
And then he said, Mark, you need to understand that when we're together, it's kind of like we're a team. And if you hog the prayer ball the whole time, you know, a light bulb started going on in my head. I realized, my goodness, I've been a burden to this brother I never meant to be. Brought tears to my eyes. Just broke my heart. It just broke my heart. It was never my intention. I'm just trying to pour out my heart to God. I thought this is what we were doing. And then it dawned on me, well, God, I guess from that perspective, yeah. Yeah, Mark, you got to pass the ball off. Pass the ball off. So I made a deliberate effort when I'm around other people. I pray very different than when I pray alone. What will you do to be united? What price will you pay? What right will you give up to be united with others? Unity will cost you. Just as Jesus sweat great emotional drops of blood in the garden to be united with the Father and to submit to the Father's will, so you will sweat great emotional drops of blood as you struggle to submit to the will of others. You know what it says in 1 Peter 5, young men? It says, young men, defer to those who are older. Defer means to submit to and give in to the opinion of another. While all of you put on the apron of humility, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself therefore into the mighty hand of God and He may in due time raise you up. You know what's hardest for you, young men? Because I was a young man once. is to submit to older men's ideas when you think they stink. When you think they're old and crusty, you think Mark, Brent, Ken, Doug, John, Charlie, and Mark are kind of all wet, tough. We had to do the same thing. We're open to your advice. Male or female, we're open to your advice. But then eventually, you know what? If we're going to have unity, then we got to defer. We have to defer. And God uses people in our life, not just elders in our life, but people in our life, as the mighty hand of God to find out our level of humility. Unity shows the depth of our humility. What you are willing to do to be united with other people shows in living color the depth of your humility. And your submission to God that says, you know what, God? See, one day it dawned on me one day it dawned on me, something really big hit me. I'm going to close with this. That this was how Jesus lived. You, you all know the statement where Jesus says, um, it's better for me to go than to stay? Remember that statement where Jesus said that? How many of you have ever doubted that statement? I'm raising my hand. I've doubted that statement. I find that statement very hard to believe. I mean, how, Lord, how can you say it is better for you to leave the planet and leave us here? You've got to be kidding you could walk right now down to Children's Hospital, heal every child there. You don't mean to tell me that would get you more glory than having me around? And then at a moment's notice, you could zap and be in Zaire and solve the whole problem. And then, boom, you'd be in North Korea and provide food for 23 million people that are starving right now. You don't, you don't, Lord, that, come on. And then I realized, you know, this is Jesus' model for leadership. Jesus eventually... The beauty of Jesus' leadership was that he eventually always went undercover in the form of Peter, Paul, Mary, John. And he lived his life behind the scenes through other people. And that's what God wants us to do.
That's what leaders, God will use their gifts. But you know, as I've gone on in my Lord, in my walk with the Lord, I used to think in my life in this terms. What can I do for God? What does God want to do through me? Now I begin to realize that my life's not so much about what I can do for God, but what I can help others do for God. You see that? There's a huge difference. Huge difference. God wants us to be united. God wants us to love each other. God wants us to forgive each other. God wants us to work through our relational difficulties. All right? Some, some of them you may just have to face and go, you know what? This will always be a challenging relationship. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm just going to do everything I can to stay with it, to love, to love, and to have my rights stepped on. Jesus had his rights stepped on, and that's a God-honoring, humble way to live. There are other relationships where you're going to need to talk some things out. You're just going to need to go and talk them out and work through the difficulty. You will become a more Christ-like person as a result. But I want you to know this. There is no way, no way in heaven and earth that you can walk worthy of your calling if you aren't committed to love, radically committed to forgiveness, and absolutely committed to unity with your brothers and sisters and accepting the differences that there are in this room. Different people here have different views about different things. God wants you to decide not to put a stumbling block in anybody's way. If I knew someone that was in this room, here's how I would apply this. If I knew someone that was in this room that I knew thought that me drinking Diet Coke was offensive, as long as I'm in this room with that person, I would never drink Diet Coke. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. And if, and if things come to my mind in a relationship that I know bother a person, they have a sensitive conscience in when I'm with that person, I don't do it. I restrain my freedom. And the conviction God's given me in that area, I restrain it for their conscience and for their sake. And that's what it means to not please yourself, but please your neighbor to build him up. There's much more that we could say on this, but there are a number of tapes you can get on this if you want to grow in this area some more. I hope you guys have a wonderful afternoon, a wonderful lunch, and a wonderful time talking in your small groups this afternoon. And a great time out there in the sunshine that God gave just for you. And I'll look forward to seeing all of you, you know, around, hanging out. And I'll see you tonight. Got some pretty neat things I want to share with you tonight. So um, please take some time if you get a chance this afternoon. Just some alone time, 30 minutes, whatever. Just to reflect on what God's showing you. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to thank you for these men and women here today. I want to thank you, God, that you've made us family in Jesus Christ. And I want to ask you, Lord, that you would give us the courage and the will to act on what we hear. Help us this afternoon in our small groups at lunch to defer to one another. Help us to immediately put into practice what we've heard, to forgive. If we need to go to someone and ask their forgiveness or give them forgiveness, help us to do it today. Help us, Lord, to embrace one another. Help us to be kind, friendly, and warm to one another as if we were seeing Jesus himself. As you said, whatever you do to one of these, my little ones, you do to me. In fact, Lord, you said the real test is whatever we do to the least of the brethren, we do to you. The one that's the hardest for us, that's how we treat you. I ask you, God, just to bless the afternoon, keep everyone safe, keep them from harm, I ask you to give them wonderful small group times today, Lord. 
really bond them together? Might their small group be much more valuable to them in their mind's eye as a result of what we've talked about? In Jesus' name, amen.